Civil War video games. I'm Chris Mikowski, and today on the Emerging Civil War podcast, we'll talk with the unfiltered historian Tyler McGraw about what it means to run and gun and have fun playing Civil War video games. Today on the Emerging Civil War podcast. This episode is brought to you by Civil War Trails, the world's largest open-air museum, offering over 1,500 sites across six states. Civil War Trails puts you in the footsteps of famous generals, freedom fighters, and tenacious women. Follow the great campaigns turn by turn, take a historic hike, and explore beautiful downtowns. Snap a signed selfie along the way. Request your brochure today at civilwartrails.org. Follow Civil War Trails and create some history of your own. Welcome to the Emerging Civil War Podcast. I'm Chris Bukowski, and I'm delighted to have you with us here today. And joining us is my friend, the unfiltered historian, Tyler McGraw. Tyler, how are you tonight, bud? Doing very well, Chris, and I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Are you feeling filtered or unfiltered this evening? Hmm, I think somewhere in between. You sit in traffic for so long at the end of the day, and you know, you're white-knuckling the steering wheel. It's just so ready to be home. Um, but I'm home now, so it's like in my... Filtered or unfiltered? I think we're bordering on the unfiltered side now that we're home. Uh, oh, very good, very yeah, good. Yeah, so, so traditional, if you will, you get the the unfiltered historian tonight. And I'll give you a shout out because by day, Tyler wears a different hat aside from the uh, groovy hat that he's wearing right now, which looks like a what, three goats in there. I don't know. Old Bushead, actually. Old Bushead. There mm-hmm. you go. Okay. Old Bushead. Okay. So he wears a different hat during the day, and you can find him at the bookstore at the Manassas Battlefield Visitor Center. What do you do there, Ty? So at the Manassas Battlefield Bookstore, well, what I do is I'm the site manager. So I get to have um, some play in dealing with the public coming in every day and seeing what kind of sources they consume and what books do they like to go after. Um, a lot of times, believe it or not, it's a hiking medallion, a passport book. But there's also a uh, very good majority that are just gravitating towards all these Civil War books. Um, so what I'm doing there is I'm kind of also watching how that's playing out and how what people are trying to pick up and read and stock the shelves that way and find different things that haven't been on the shelf before, things that have, bring them back, things like that. Um, so just day-to-day bookstore operations, which is really fun. And uh, doing the unfiltered story, and I also have the opportunity after work to go outside and take some videos of these places. Um, and, and yeah some of the stuff on your facebook page has been beautiful oh thank you and that's the cool thing is you look out that window and every day you get a different sunset and it was unique today because it was very gray and cloudy and overcast almost the entirety of the day and then come probably 4 30 this beautiful sunset opened up and there was some sunlight so you know it's days like that that are really cool to be up there and reflect on that battlefield wow wow and yeah. i've got to say you know as, as someone who loves books and i know you just love 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 reading civil war books Absolutely. so now you run a bookstore like dude yeah it's job. it doesn't seem like a job ever it's a fun place you know you get to meet all these new people every single day too but it's being able to be surrounded by books all day and it helps too. you would like this i have the stonewall jackson mural staring me in my face all day so sometimes he ends up on my Snapchat. Uh, there's these wonderful face filters. So I've seen like Santa Claus Stonewall. I've seen him with a McDonald's hat on taking your order from a drive-thru. Uh, so that gets fun too, to be able to see that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, being in a bookstore all day, it's 
very cool. It's like your own library, but you're able to see other people come in and you're, you're able to talk about books with other people too. And then ultimately send them home with something uh, to help maybe better understand their trip or a different aspect of the war, whatever it might be that they go for. Yeah. Now, and then you come home by night and you switch hats, obviously wearing the old bust head hat uh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and, and you unfilter yourself. Now, what, what does it mean to be the unfiltered historian? Uh, I appreciate you asking that because I don't think anyone's actually dove into the real reason we go unfiltered. Uh, so the unfiltered historian isn't just to come on here and cuss and have a good time and just, you know, be rowdy. Uh, as fun as that would be, but that's not the ultimate goal there. What we mean by unfiltered is... is it is sort of like a little a little bit like a tailgate party sometimes, which is, is fun. It, that's what we want to do. Is we <laughs> want to show, too, that history is fun. That's the unfiltered side. I love the tailgate aspect to it. That I have to qu uh, quote you on that. But that's the thing. We want to bring it to where it's a conversation. We're having fun. We can have a laugh, but we can also get down to some serious stuff at the same time, but make that extremely accessible to the public. So you'll see that we do live videos every now and again. We have comments available to be put on the screen um, and you can comment from multiple different platforms, which is something that we found really cool is when we go live, we stream to Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, YouTube, Facebook. So that's what I think it is right now. But, uh, so it's three different platforms, but we're able to hit a couple of pages and that's audiences that may not be like on our personal page or, or following unfiltered can find that through my buddy Darren's page as well. So that's been something Again, what we mean by unfiltered, it's not your typical approach to doing a podcast, but it's it's different, but it's giving the general public and other folks the opportunity to be a part of the conversation as well. Uh, so there's a lot to unfiltered more than just like I said, I love the tailgate because that is what it is. Like we bring these people in. That's what we want the energy to feel like as a party. We're all having a good time. You know, we can make the, the silly faces of these war soldiers and put them up and talk about that, but also take it serious too. Now, I come from Western New York, so when you start talking about tailgating, like, I'm waiting for you to jump off a truck onto a table, <laughs> you know, and like be eating Whoa. chicken wings and stuff. I mean, you're going to get real serious if we're going to be we, doing, you know, thinking you're about You're giving stuff. me ideas for New Year's. I'll be at the uh, Ravens-Dolphins game, and we're going early to tailgate this time because there's some crab cakes involved. Uh, so. uh, well, do me a favor and squish the fish, as we say in Western New York. Even though a dolphin is not a fish, we say squish the fish up there. So Hopefully it'll be a fish when the Ravens are done with them. <laughs> now that I say that, if we're not, we're going to lose. But So now you talked about um, we. You used the, the first-person plural pronoun. Yeah. I'm a writer. I pay attention to that stuff. So who are the we involved with unfiltered historian uh, I, another awesome question so there's never really a regular member and that when i mean by that there are people that come on regularly but the unfiltered historian is not going to focus on just like one membership it's a community of folks that may have jobs in the field or may even just be enthusiasts may have a passion for history and have done a lot for it we like to have them come on and be sort of like a, a panel so when we have the party we like to host it like that when again saying we myself darren anthony Truso and Darren Rawlings, I should say his last name as well. Let's um, give you, yeah, give uh, our friend there in the UK a shout out to Darren Rawlings. And, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, those three have been really with me once I kind of branched out when I came to Manassas. I really started taking a different approach to doing live videos and different programs on the unfiltered. You know, typically it was a video game stream and then maybe one or two podcasts here and there. Uh, so coming to Manassas, I wanted to start bringing more people on and just being able to have different ideas. Uh, Josh Hughes is also a regular member with us, and we have, let's see, yeah, that's our current membership, Tim Wilging as well. God, there's there's a lot now. It's awesome. I'm sitting here actually having to think out a list. That's that's really cool. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's really what it is. It's to have a community and not just be one entity. Like this whole thing is 
different voices, different opinions, different, you know, stories, different backgrounds in history, just having some different flavor to it, if you will. To me, I mean, that's always, I think, the way the best history gets done is you're sitting around with a bunch of buddies, um, and maybe you're ha- you are having a beer, smoking a cigar, and you're just kind of BSing about history, and yeah. you, you bounce ideas off of each other, and you test out your own theories, uh, mm-hmm. and to me, you know, it's such a lively way to engage with history and then kind of move your own ideas forward. Yeah, and that's, I think, was something we have found, too, because, again, you know, we have this joking aspect when we're live. We have a lot of fun. Uh, but I've had some very serious conversations with these guys uh, on and off the air, sometimes just in a phone call or even, you know, in passing on the battlefield. It's it's brought in more to my attention than I've ever realized when it came to podcasting that it's better to have a group and to have different opinions coming in and just different voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, a, a previous iteration of the Unfiltered Historian, you'd maybe play some video games and mm-hmm. history-based video games. And kind oh, of yeah. Talk- as you went and that's ultimately why i asked you to come on here and, and talk a little bit tonight because right. as part of the emerging civil war 10th anniversary series we have a book on the civil war and pop culture mm-hmm. and you contributed an essay to that about civil war video gaming uh, which to me is just a, a what a fascinating way to get people hooked on history uh tell me a little bit about this idea of playing video games to learn history sure so it all started with the History Channel Civil War game. And I mentioned that, you know, in, in the book, it, I, I had this video game and I'm going to have to preface all of this, but this game is completely inaccurate and it's comically inaccurate at that. So I'm going to enjoy ex- describing this to you. So keep that in mind as I go forward. Uh, this game was... I, mean, I, well, I, I will say, though, it can't be any more inaccurate than John Brown Gordon's memoirs, though. So, I mean, we we're, we're doing it. <laughs> They may have consulted that for the game. They may have. I haven't checked those notes yet, but I would like to. But um, again, that's actually a good analogy to it. The game starts out in Manassas, which is kind of interesting. And I I played this at first when I was a very young kid. So I had an idea what Manassas was. And the reason I'm getting Manassas is I've actually never been to Manassas up until 2020. I've lived in this state my entire life, and I've never visited that battlefield. Even with the internships I've done in, in the different battlefields I have visited out of state, just haven't been to it. But I knew a lot about it because of that game. I, I sort of had an idea of how that battle played out and what, at least in my mind, it would look like going there. I had that from a game I played, gosh, in elementary school. Uh, mom came home with a computer one day from work and it, with it came a subwoofer system, like not a, a fancy one by any means, but a little you know amplifier for the floor and some speakers to go on the side. And for Christmas, I got the History Channel Civil War game. Uh, just given the fact that me and my father were watching a lot of the Civil War combat VHS tapes. So I had it, you know, my interest was there. It wasn't huge, but it was, it was there. And so the game gets uh, given to us for Christmas. And that was it with the subwoofers, the cannonballs going off at that first level at Manassas. Again, we're charging the stone bridge as a Confederate regiment running up there, uh, trying to go behind union lines and detonate ammo piles, which is just again so weird. Uh, knowing that now, but that's an interesting foray into Civil War video games. Was that was where the start really came from? And as inaccurate as it may be, there was a specific mission that I remember clearly that actually had me go boots on the ground to a real battlefield to visit it after playing that mission, um, and that was the Chancellorsville mission. Um, because how cool would it be? It's this guy with a butter knife literally sneaking across the lines into a Union camp to explode an ammo depot. And there are signal towers just in the middle of the woods and snipers on top. They, they call them snipers, but, you know, these just wildly inaccurate guns. 
Um, there's a Gatling gun at Gettysburg with Chamberlain's men. Before they do a bayonet charge, they expel the Gatling gun onto charging Confederates. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. But that Chancellorsville one, for some reason, I ended up going to the National Park Service and being able to uh, visit one weekend after that. And everything kind of started going up from there when it came to how serious I took the war and wanted to really die further. And it, it came from a video game. And I've got to think, as a kid, you're not concerned about the accuracy of the game. Not at all. It's just more like, you know, is this fun to do? And does it right. capture imagination? Um, so, so from that point of view, how valuable was that as a, as a hook? I would almost argue it was the catalyst to my uh, healthy obsession with the Civil War. That's kind of where it, everything really came together. And I was like, this is something I really like and I want to understand more about. And that, again, comes from a game not looking at the accuracies, not looking past any of that. It was just the game at face value was really something that gave me the want to know more. So so it yeah. takes you to the Chancellorsville battlefield. What was your what was your experience after you got there? Um a ranger who actually still works here gave me a tour, which is really cool. She, uh, she gave the tour to us and I was blown away by how different it was from what I thought it was going to be. Again, butter knife running through the woods, blowing up an ammo <laughs> depot. So I, I'm going for that story, man. I, but I had no idea about Stonewall. It was my first site visit that had anything to do with Stonewall Jackson. So I'm learning about him for the first time and how important he was to the war and just learning all these different things, seeing earthworks for the first time. Oh, man, that was cool. Yeah. Could even almost argue that was the moment that I was like, oh, this is this is the stuff, man. Like, I the earthworks were a very memorable part, but also the visitor center, the older visitor center uh, before the renovation. Uh, I did get to walk through that. And that that diorama, which is also still there, that was another big, yeah, that holding the phone and, and hearing uh, two people that now I know who the voices are. I'm like, oh, okay. all of that, yeah. Died. <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. I mean, good stuff, good stuff. And, and yeah. you know, a lot of listeners and viewers will kind of have that nostalgic factor kick in for them as they kind of think about their own experience at, at that visitor center or other visitor centers. Sure. As you tell the story, though, to me, it seems like that's exactly how it's supposed to work, where you encounter some sort of um, aspect of mass media or popular culture. And in your case, it's a video game that mm -hmm. gets you hooked enough to go there. Then you have an experience there that hooks you even further. Yeah. What's What was your next step in that evolution for you? So uh, with that, it really got to being able to visit more battlefields. So I've mentioned to my dad how serious I was with this, and I'm sure it angered my mother, but they had a night where they went out on an anniversary date, and my dad actually had her go with him to a bookstore, and he bought a Civil War for Kids book, like, on their date, just, and brings that home. He didn't have to do that, but, like, again, that's where it started coming even more, so now I'm starting to get my library. You know, I got that one. Uh, we took a trip to Hershey, Pennsylvania that next year, so I'm coming into seventh grade here. And my dad made sure there was time set away to go to another little town in Pennsylvania, which I'm sure everybody knows. And that was my first time on that battlefield. That was insane. Okay. Um, again, watching all those TVs and again, looking for the Gatling gun on Little Round Top that sad to learn didn't exist. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> but it started leading to more frequent battlefield trips with family. And that is pretty much how it went all up until the end of high school. Um, I didn't get to have too much involvement with a lot, but I've been to a few reenactments for the 150th. I went to the Spotsylvania one. Uh, I graduated in 13, so I also was able to see the Chancellor's Bill one. So two of those. And that's, you know, that's where the 
wanting to really know more and what got me into wanting to get into an internship kind of started out of high school in 2013 there was now I'm like okay what can I do to go forward with this yeah. I think that's where you yeah. and I first met was at the wilderness uh it was yeah that's right I was in Union Blue shooting a cannon that was my uh, second time ever shooting a gun that was cool uh, what, no Gatling gun nope, no Gatling <laughs> gun there either they didn't even bother to put a wilderness mission in there so that's you know that's another thing too those are two battlefields I guess maybe because I wasn't exposed to them at first. I have, hadn't visited until I started work, uh, doing stuff with the Park Service in 2015. Mm-hmm. I had again, kind of interesting how how uh, you know these uh, forms of mass media shape what we do or don't know about the war. And it's like, oh, there's no right. wilderness in the game, so I don't know anything about the Battle of the Wilderness. You know? Yeah, same wins with Spotsy. And like, so to hear that when I first started working there, like the things that happened there and how severe those fights were, I was like, there's no way. But it's not it's not on the, the games or the, the book chapters. It's not the first one you see. Yeah. So that was interesting to hear. But knowing now, it's tremendous respect for both of those places. Yeah. So now Absolutely. going back as an adult who, who knows a lot about the Civil War now, mm-hmm. and you look at that game that got you hooked, can you still play it? Of course. Yeah. Okay. I will say that without hesitation. Absolutely. If I had a way to, uh, I have to find someone that's selling a CD for a relatively good copy and convert my PC here to CDs. Yeah. So we've come a little further, but yeah, I'm itching to. Okay. Uh, I, again, yeah, sure. I would like to revisit it. Yeah. So like the nostalgia factor, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, don't, don't let what you know get in the way of what you feel about the game. And, and like, right. And I would even go as far as probably doing a series on the unfiltered uh, playing missions and, and giving commentary as I'm playing. I, I think that would be fun so people can understand look at it it's horrible it's not great but somebody <laughs> might go to chancellorsville and have their aha moment because of that which so, it, yeah yeah there's a win right there that's there a is yeah. so you've gotten involved in other civil war video gaming since that early foray um yeah. tell me a little bit about some of the other experiences you've had so the formulative one when it comes to video games and how this this unfiltered all starts is another aspect of being at the wilderness of course i can go back to that there was a group of folks came for a tour there were a few scheduled tours every day in the summers that they did out of saunders field and i got to give a no turning back tour and these three folks came on my tour and gentlemen wonderful you know they were engaging they wanted more of an informal tour too which was right up my speed too so i was like okay we can kind of conversate more about it so we were having a good chat and they didn't mention at all that these are developers of campfire games. Uh, the game that they were developing was a civil war first person immersive experience game that they described to me. I'm like, Oh, wow. Uh, this would be incredible to play. So they gave me a business card and way later, I finally got a computer because those things are crazy hard to build and crazy hard to assemble. Um, but once I did, and that's the requirement, unfortunately you would need to play this game that I'm going to describe is unfortunately a computer so there is a there's a kind of a downside which we can get into later but i mean that was the catalyst for me getting a computer was trying to play that game and and see what they were talking about and what the hype was over uh sure enough they they sold me really hard when i first played the game is set in maryland the game is known as war of rights and set in the maryland campaign of 1862 the game has a very realistic experience and, and what i mean by that is you are not running around with artificial intelligence. A lot of games will have single players where the computer operates the enemies or or the the folks on your team. This game does not have that. It has lobbies, so servers of up to 200 to 300 people. And all of these people have to actually act like a regiment 
or a brigade if you can get everybody to cooperate together and function as such so that you can actually win a battle. Um, and it has the, the game set up to where it won't let you just run off and, you know, go crazy and bayonet people out of line. Like, it's not going to let you do that. You can, but it sets up measures to, to limit that. So, like, sort of a punishment scale, I guess, um, on how that would work. So it really tries to get you to to behave the way a soldier mm -hmm. would behave as opposed to Tyler McGraw versus the Army of Northern Virginia. Yeah, and I'm just like, to heck with it. Or Leroy Jenkins, as you will hear in the video. Leroy like, Jenkins! Take off and run into a line. People have, I, I've watched that happen on that game and people try to charge canister. Really close ranges doing that. It does not end well, so we refrain from that. Uh, so for folks who don't know the, the story from the book, tell us about Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> That's not... So... Leroy Jenkins, uh, for the cultural reference with that, Leroy Jenkins was a, a meme, I guess, if you will. Uh, it started from a video of some folks playing World of Warcraft. Somebody was very silent on their, their game, and they were all grouping together. These are people in real life talking to each other that are about to go and storm a building and, and take some, I think it was Jules back. And out of nowhere, in mid-conversation, this guy just screamed, let's do this, Leroy Jenkins, and starts into the room, and everybody's like, um... I think he just went in there. Uh, we should probably go help him. And he's getting just battered by this huge thing beating him in. So that's where it comes from. You can, if you look up Leroy Jenkins on YouTube, I'm sure there's a 30 second clip that you can just enjoy and bask in. That was a cultural phenomenon for a while, Chris. I swear it was. So basically just charging in wildly without yeah. rep, Leroy Jenkins. And off you go. And uh, yeah. And uh, as I recall, like, ever, like, like everybody on that mission ended up getting killed or something yep. <laughs> like yeah. he ended up ruining things for everybody you know? and that's uh, that's funny because that is literally how war of rights can be if you are that one that just decides to take off into some enemy line uh you give yourself away and they see you and they're like hey look there's a guy running at us one versus a hundred is your odds are slim right to say right. the least but yeah now, that's an interesting part of it yeah. now it's interesting the game's called war of rights so there's to me, it sounds like a built-in interpretive angle to a title like that. Um, tell me your take on that. I think there very well could be. I there isn't a lot of ideology in the game. If you know, like, if you know what I mean, like when it comes to ideology, like there's not a lot of uh, narrative. There isn't really any storyline. The only narrative that you get is at the end of a battle, and it's a description of the action that you just partook in, or if it's a simulated fight, they they describe what happened in schoolhouse ridge or places like that that they've simulated um so when when they say war of rights you know immediately my mind also was just like uh oh what's this because like, you're right it, it is very much open for interpretation you could look at that and be, uh there's something behind that but i haven't found anything yet and i've been playing this gosh since 2018 now like consecutively i haven't found anything yet to call for a narrative or any type of document nothing there's there's no story to it i think that's the best approach to a game like that and again you know it's weird to think but we want to learn we want to be able to teach people but maybe the experience alone is enough to have them wanting to understand what's happening in the game mm -hmm. so you're giving them just enough and when i mean them just anyone that may not be exposed to this war and has just out of nowhere purchased war of rights because their friends got it and they're having some beer and playing war of rights tonight mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who knows if somebody else there you know, it doesn't have such a good time with his buddies and playing this. They're like, wow, I kind of want to know what happened on that battlefield. And people, I heard it today at work. Man, I downloaded this game on Steam where you can be soldiers and just run at each other. I'm like, okay. 
cool it's just in passing you hear that and like someone's here talking about it 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 comes up at a battlefield so uh that's the cool that's what i think is cool about it you don't have any you know this is why the game is called war right there's there's nothing to to explain it so it's not a not necessarily an explicit you know this was about states rights or anything no no or we were right and you were wrong or or whatever no and like it's it's very i like to say the word climatized um when it comes to even the loading screens uh that they have the the union logos fight for home and country and the confederates fight for hearth and home and i'm like that's okay i mean it's pretty fair and balanced on both in my mind i get it but it's interesting i'm just like okay there's they're not pulling anything but there's also something to interpret there as well because they're also not addressing something that yeah, it's not like fighting you know I mean? to preserve the country or fighting right. to preserve slavery, you know. So kind of staying away from all that to keep yeah. it a fun game. I yeah, say. and I think I think in that sense, it's okay. It's not a game to tell a narrative story. It's it's one to, I hate to say shoot him up, but that's kind of what it is. You put him in the front lines and, hey, hope you survive this charge. Uh, uh, so yeah. for folks who, who have not played a Civil War video game, mm-hmm. Tell us what it's like. What's the experience? What are you seeing? What's happening? Uh, kind of simulate so, that experience for us. Yeah, War of Rights, I'll use that one. Um, and that one and then another game I'd like to mention too that really I can get immersive with for sure. Uh, but War of Rights is one of those that the the graphics have been very astounding. I was impressed since I even got the game in alpha mode, which was their testing mode. I was able to be you know, part of the few that were testing it out and seeing how the game went and how it was going to go. But there is an immersive experience to it as well, with the graphics being good and the sound quality being like superb as well. It was trying to find the right word for it. It's like being in a vortex. That's that. That's the thing I could kind of describe. It's weird. You're starting to become unaware. It's, I'm sure a reenactor could probably tell you it's the same thing when they get out there and they're in the middle of having a firefight. It, it's the same thing in a video game. Is that you're starting to now feel sort of immersed in this experience that you're in. Of course, from the safety of a, a gaming chair and a mouse and keyboard. Um, so significantly safer than a Civil War soldier, but you almost get a taste with the confusion, the sound of battle. Uh, they do a very good job of trying to replicate what a battle would sound like. When artillery goes off, you can actually hear shells whirring through the air. And depending on what shells they are, the different explosions or, or thuds that they would make, uh, you hear bullets galore um, and they sound like bees. And I've, I've read soldiers describe them as bees before. Uh, they really do. Um, and of course, we don't know if that's hopefully really what it sounds like zipping past your ear. But when you hear it that many times in consistency, it's, it's terrifying at the same time. And you kind of get a taste. It's like, wow, this is somebody lived this. Somebody had to endure this. Some people did not make it from this. And to have that thought process in a video game where we're supposed to be, you know, just running a gun and having a good time. That was something that was very uh, intriguing to me and that I noticed. You know, I was thinking deeper and it, it drew me to Antietam more. That's been one of my favorite battlefields in the recent years. And that game definitely, you know, plays a key role in that. Because it's set there. Yeah, it is. It's Antietam, Shepherd, or Antietam Harbors Ferry, and uh, both South Mountain, Crampton's and Fox's Gap. Yeah. yeah, which is, and they did great at getting those things to scale and almost to what they could imagine it would look like using park resources. Like they were able to go in and meet with some of the park historians there. 
Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, so when you cool. say the scale, is that is that a concern in some games where things are just kind of uh, out of whack and, and stuff? Yeah, I'm going to nerd out here and say, if you're hardcore in the gaming and war gaming like that, yeah. Uh, in a war gaming in computer, there there is a stark difference if you uh, you can tell in board gaming and computer games. Um, no beef or anything, just difference in, in play styles. Um, so a lot of the folks that may have played a game called Arma, which is a modern day military sim or mill sim, as we call it, they want everything to scale. And there's a lot of folks that come over to War of Rights because War of Rights hit that community. They're like, hey, we're going to scale out our maps. They're large. They're not short enclosed maps. They're large, open, wooded, you know, stone walls, roads, everything you would have on a Civil War battlefield, but on a realistic scale. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it fun because you don't just start out and the enemies right there. You have to work around the map and, and find them. And, you know, we can, we've done a lot of interesting flank maneuvers. Yeah. Um, everybody loves to go to the left. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, what's the difference uh, between first person and third person for folks who don't know? I, and I'll say like, I've got kids, so I, you know, I'm watching them play their video games. Mm -hmm. I, I'm familiar with some of this stuff, but I'm sure some of our listeners aren't. Sure. So first person is through our eyes. Imagine playing a video game through the lens of somebody else's eyes. You're looking at what they see. Third person is where the camera will actually be behind the character you're playing. So you will have a full body character in front of you. So they, it, you know, it's different than just the eyes and, and the level of what you would see if you were the person portrayed in the game. You can kind of see their whole body and their movements that way. Um, and it it creates for a different gaming environment when you play with uh, first and third person. Um, use, I know it's not historically relevant at all, but I'm actually going to use Grand Theft Auto for a minute. That was um, one of the most interesting things they ever did. And I hope some of these historical games can do the same, is create an ability to switch between first and third person. <laughs> and that helped for the gameplay. So I was, if I could see that in some other games, that would be cool too. I don't always want to be in third person. And sometimes I don't always want to be in first person. Now, I remember back in the day when I was a kid and, and video games were first coming out and, you know, you look on the screen and, you know, I'm playing Asteroids or Pac-Man or Donkey Kong or something. And that's all kind of the world is happening in front of me mm -hmm. and I'm watching things happen in a two-dimensional kind of environment. And now these are all three-dimensional. So you're not yeah. necessarily looking at it, but you're kind of hovering over the shoulder of your characters that gets to mm -hmm. move around in those worlds. And it's a three-dimensional uh, environment instead of that two-dimensional right. environment uh, and that's a that's a huge that was a huge huge leap when that first came about yeah and i mean i remember playing the even the playstation one the graphic you can still sort of have that three-dimensional but it wasn't it was like playing paper tv i paper tv is the best way to describe that no these these characters are horrible and there was just no definition to anything um and this helps to be immersive and i think that's what makes a difference now uh and not to discredit any of the original war games like sid meyer's Gettysburg and Tatum, those ones were great. I didn't go too crazy with those playing them growing up, um, nor have I done anything to play them to get an understanding of how they worked. But those are some of the original computer war games for Civil War that we had. And those uh, some games even came out in the 90s. Uh, most of those were your basic war gaming that you would do on a board game, like hexagonal and squares and, and things of that nature. Uh, but there's another one that came out that sort of a taste of that wargaming community but still holding the tradition of being a computer game and that's ultimate general civil war that that one is one that i can sit here and i like to say zomb out too if i have a really bad day at work i'll grab a beer and i'll sit here and just put the tv on go to my ultimate general and pick a battle 
And that's what's beautiful about it is you can play a campaign mode where it takes you through different battles throughout the war, or you can select a scenario. One of my favorite ones is the mule shoot. You can actually fight the mule shoot with controlling your entire army. So versus one person, you're now commanding the entire army, Northern Virginia, the Army of the Potomac. You can pick who you want to go where and what they do. And the enemy is AI, whoever you're playing against. So you are playing against a computer, but you can set difficulties to, you know, extreme. If you want to have a real tough go at it, you can, you can set it to extreme things like that. So you have like easy, medium, hard, mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee. Let yeah. <laughs> and you have Fredericksburg where the pontoon bridges are just already built. And Norman J. Hall does not take boats across. He just charges across the pontoon bridge yeah. against Barksteel's guys. And yeah, it, I got overrun within 30 seconds. I'm like, good Lord, that wouldn't have been easier that way, huh? But see, that's no like, less no less accurate than the UDC monument that's at the pontoon bridge. That yeah. says the crossing was there on the 11th and 12th so i, I suppose um, it works yeah <laughs> yeah there you go that would see that would have brought a connection to go out there and look at that now but I, you know but i could also see that you know like if you're the commander and you know you're going to be ulysses s grant at the mule show um you know and and it's i think more than just sort of playing the game like if you think about the sorts of things grant learned as a general through the early days of the overland campaign, like, gosh, this army moves slower than I'm used to, or, you know, the, the, the uh, the logistics, like, it seems like putting yourself in the shoes of that can be illuminating in some interesting ways. I'm very glad you brought that up. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for Lee at Spotsylvania because of that game. Okay. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, And that, that's interesting to say, you know, we, you know, being Lee, it's, I don't love him everywhere, but here I, I, I feel for him. So the way you can do these attacks is, you know, set up to where you're doing the entire Spotsylvania campaign or just that scenario. And I chose the mules too, but I chose to defend as a Confederate army this time. I wanted to see what it was like to hold that. My first time playing and I'm playing on easy, mind you, crumbled within minutes. There was no holding and I didn't send any reinforcements. I just had the line set up as it would have been set up in the morning of May 12th, right around four. It was set up the exact same way, but... Uh What they're able to do with the mule shoe, what, what the Army of Northern Virginia is able to do to reinforce and, and stop that from crumbling completely. I couldn't do that within three retries before I finally realized I just need to throw everything I had at this. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's doing that. I, I think this isn't an easy decision for Lee because he knows that he is trading time for the lives of the men. But he's doing so to, at the end of the day, save more men so he's got to throw some serious numbers at it in order for that to even work because it's untenable at, at some point that's got to break and it, it it does you know it's going to break and the game taught me that okay wow this isn't just a really good defense position it took a lot to stop that assault from just overwhelming everything and that it was just a different take and it was a game that you know did it, it yeah. So, and to me, that's interesting. Like you said, it, it took you three resets. Like, you know, in any of these instances, these commanders don't have the chance to hit no. reset and start over. Or like, oh, I've used up all my lives. Now I get more. <laughs> you know, they're like doing it in real time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have that luxury of starting over or rebooting or whatever. Yeah. I know what went wrong. Uh, yeah. So let's do different next time on the same map. Lee couldn't yeah. do that. 
So, and, and I suppose even to that extent, like, you know, that all happened 160 years ago. So you already knew what happened right. and were able to plan for it. And it still didn't uh, turn out to be an easy task, right? Not in the slightest. And again, you know, it's it's a game, so you know, take whatever it might be. But the AI does a good job of knowing where to move things. And that's what I was faced with. The 20,000 of Hancock coming straight through. That was bad. That was really <laughs> bad. Like, I couldn't do anything. I was like, whoa. And they just flood. But that visual was interesting, too, because I imagine that's, you know, if you took a, a sky view and looked up at that, pretty similar. And that's how the game is set, too. You're actually looking at an aerial view of the battlefield, which is awesome at the same time. But infuriating when the hills are in the wrong place, the houses are always misspelled. Roads aren't anywhere to be found. It, it, it's a lot. But they put barrels instead of trenches. You don't get to dig trenches. You get to stand behind barrels. Um, oh, okay. But those mark the trench lines. So you're still following all the right lines, but it, it, they're barrels. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there again, one of those things where you know more than maybe the designers did. Mm -hmm. Don't let that get in the way of the the playing of the game. But uh, mm -hmm. no, because again, you, you take away so much better at an experience than scoffing at it because it's got some weird inaccuracies. Just enjoy the inaccuracies and have fun. It's yeah. they're fun to look at. You know, you know this going into that. Like many of you that may play these will know that. You're like, oh, there's no Gatling gun on July 2nd up there on Little Round Top. What the heck is this? But then you get to you get up there and you start shooting it. You're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is effective. Yeah. It's getting the job done. So have fun. And to me, that's no different than watching something like, uh, you know, a Civil War movie or reading a Civil mm -hmm. War book and be like, yeah. oh, well, they got this wrong or oh, that was wrong. It's like these are these are pop culture artifacts. They're not intended necessarily as historical artifacts. Right. You know? Guns of the South is one of those that I'm sure you know that book very well. I, you ever read Guns of the South by Turtle yeah, Dove? I have. That's another one. Lee with AK 47s. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned so, that to people in passing. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've mentioned that word fun a couple of times. I want to come back to it because when mm -hmm. you were talking about Antietam and you said part of the point's just to sort of run and gun and have some fun. So to me, it seems like there, there's an ethical question here. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not casting aspersions at all, but right. like, a lot of these video games, you know, where you're a first person shooter shooting it at other people or, you know, computer other people. Um, and that's supposed to be fun. Tell me about that, because I know it's it, it's it's something that gamers do have to contend with. They do. So it's a very touchy subject because the the caveat of War of Rights is it was intentionally made to be very graphic. And it can be much. I mean, even for people that have played video games that are notoriously graphic it, it's a different kind of graphic so that was something we had to face going into that especially it already being a fun shoot em up like i was saying however the fun doesn't come from the the violence or the the shooting that's taking place when you're playing a milsim and when i say fun i'm referring to the camaraderie you get from people that are uh, interested in the same thing as you there you get to surround yourself with folks that love the civil war or love military history and nine times out of ten the the conversations and just the good times you have being able to talk because as we're playing we're also communicating back and forth and it's almost like virtually reenacting if you will you know reenacting i'm sure there are some ethical questions about getting up and, and pointing rifles i've heard it raised in visitor centers before so it's equally comparable i think um to think about a video game like that where you're immersing yourself virtually not in person of course but you're still immersing yourself in something like that to ultimately either get a better understanding or talk to your buddies about something. And it's something you guys can all come together over and play together as a team. Um, so who knows you aren't, you know, 
subconsciously practicing team building skills there. I could throw so much into that um, to try to show that there is another way to look at it. But I also completely understand if folks are turned off by that because it's not everybody's cup of tea to, to play those kind of games. And I get that because there is an element to it where, yes, it is a, a violent aspect of the game sometimes. The Civil War was also not a nonviolent thing. It was a horrible thing. And we all go to these battlefields. We all watch the movies. You know, we read about these, these the guts and gore of the Civil War. So there's a video game about it. It's just adding to the cultural phenomenon that is the Civil War today that we studied. There is another avenue of approach to that. But, I mean, it is violent. It's just like the war was. That It wasn't nonviolent. So that's another argument I'll say, you know, it is civil war that you're reading these books, you're reading horrible things sometimes. Yeah. 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 And that's one of the things that I wrestle with as a, as a historian and as a writer, um, you know, kind of grappling with that idea that there are people who come to talks and read these books and visit these sites because it's a form of entertainment on one level, yeah. like, you know, and is it, is it okay to, see that as entertaining, be entertained. And even if you're learning, you know, and it's, it's intellectually stimulating. So, you know, there's certainly some pros to it. There's some cons to there it. Is. And I'm always conscious of that, that, you know, that gray area of, of uh, edutainment. Yeah. Um, and that's something, you know, I think about too with the unfiltered and the, the style that we have, like I said, the bar approach or the tail, I, I really like tailgate approach. It's sticking, man. It's, it's not leaving my head, but uh, that, you know, that's something we wrestle with too is because we make this the party atmosphere. And is that, is this something to glorify when we go to these battlefields and we talk this? And I, I would hope there aren't people out there that are cheering death and, and cheering about people, you know, losing their lives on battlefields in very horrible ways. Um, I, don't, I don't think there should be an entertainment in that aspect of it. But as we've talked about, and as, you know, the pop culture book goes into many different details on, there are so many different sources of entertainment that all can trace back to the civil war so when was it okay because that started a long time ago so if it's not okay yeah when was it not okay or when is it okay you know there there's so many questions you can raise with it but it's been happening since the war ended i'd argue it probably has been happening during the war i guarantee it has that guarantee there was some source of entertainment made off of the war during the war somehow you know so I, you know, I think about those cycloramas where you know, like, yeah. pay, you know, you're gonna pay admission to go in and see the the war recreated on campus, and it's right. gonna be a spectacle, you know, as as an example. So, Tyler, if somebody's interested in knowing more about video gaming, um, how can they learn more about it without necessarily having to go out and buy one of these games? Sure. So, uh, Twitch, which is a broadcasting platform, is probably the best avenue of approach to that. Uh, you can watch other video gamers or reviewers streaming this game live to you and giving you feedback on how that game's going. So, that's a great way to get exposed to it and kind of get the feel for whether or not you want to buy it or spend the time and money on it. YouTube's another good one because YouTube can have a lot of different, you know, uh, videos, whether it be people doing mission playthroughs, we call them walkthroughs or reviews on the game similar to what you would see on Twitch. Uh, these are all pre-recorded, of course. Some may be live if you catch them when they go live. Uh, but that's another great way to do that. Uh, it's just learning by some of the videos and, and getting a feel for how the game is going to be. Other than just reading up on reviews, uh, go on to blogs of different games. There should be a forum. Uh, many games have these. And you can go to their website and see what people are saying about the game that are playing it. So you can kind of get up their up-to-date information on how the game's running, so on and so forth. And I know there are some people who are listening right now who are going, wait, I'm going to watch a YouTube video of somebody playing 
of video. <laughs> Uh, and yes, and there yeah. are a lot of those out there, and they're super popular. <laughs> they are, and there's a whole sporting uh, just empire starting. I say empire because it's getting massive. They are building one here in Virginia. There's going to be an esports stadium alongside the new Capitals Arena. So esports is a thing. Uh, maybe one day they'll have a Civil War sports team. Who knows? Well, they'll be, have the War Rights crews. I don't, could be, but hasn't been that popular yet. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Uh, Tyler, anything I haven't asked you about this that I should have? No, I think you covered this real well. I appreciate you again having me on here and being able to talk about Civil War video games because it's not something that typically gets talked about in the Civil War field. Um, And and of course, I'll point people to your essay in our book, The Civil War and Pop Culture, where you talk a little bit more about some of these and provide a good overview of what it's all about. But it's a fascinating um, window into uh, getting, getting getting young people hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough thing to do these days. So if we can do it this way, maybe video games aren't as bad as we think. Yeah, right, right. All right. Now, so I, I'm going to conclude by asking a favor because you've got your virtual screen behind you with your um your logo and your pointing. And I want you to strike the unfiltered pose in real life <laughs> to match your logo behind you. Can you do it? I'm going to try my best. All right. Yeah, that's good. All right. Is that good? I don't have the glasses on, but if you notice the artist that did this for me, I've always wanted to point this out. If you look really close, they made the glasses crooked. And I wear them. Where are they? They're right here. (laughs) I haven't fixed this because it's a trademark. (laughs) So I've got a paper. I I will show people. I have a paper clip holding my glasses together here. And I could totally go get a new pair of glasses. But because these have been through all these different battlefields and videos with the unfiltered, it's sort of my little trademark. So it sits crooked too. So we got to do it right way. We got to have the glasses on too. <laughs> That's like the MacGyver of glasses, dude. Your it was, favorite clip. Let me tell you how I I felt very iffy about it because I used to have a key ring of all things. I needed something on the spot. So I put a key ring in and it held and I'm like, I'm not touching it. I'll go get some new ones. Just out of the blue one day at work. I'm like, you know what? That's the size of a paper clip. And it, it holds so well. So <laughs> I learn something new every day, my friend. Well, I'm glad for the chance to chat with you today. This has been a lot of fun, and I really appreciate your time, pal. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again and everything you guys do. Absolutely. Thank you, Ty. I'm Chris Bukowski for Tyler McGraw. Thanks for being with us here on the Emerging Civil War podcast. We'll see you online and on the battlefield. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share with your friends. We want to increase our listenership so we can have more people engaged in this great conversation about America's defining event. And don't forget to join us at Emerging Civil War, where you've got more than 30 historians contributing free content every day, different writing styles, different interests, all trying to keep us connected with that great American story. Join us online at EmergingCivilWar.com. This episode of the Emerging Civil War podcast was brought to you by Civil War Trails, the world's largest open-air museum with more than 1,500 sites in six states. You can start planning your Civil War journeys now by downloading a brochure at civilwartrails.org. Thanks to Tyler McGraw for being with us today. Thanks to our producer, Edward Alexander, and our audio engineer, Jackson Mikowski. Thanks to the Second South Carolina String Band for providing our theme music. You can find them online on YouTube and on Facebook. Just search for Second South Carolina String Band. And of course, don't forget to join us at EmergingCivilWar.com. For Tyler McGraw, I'm Chris Mikowski. Thanks so much for being with us here on the Emerging Civil War podcast. We'll see you online and on the battlefield.